Welcome to So Now What, a bi-weekly podcast of the ARRL, the National Association for Amateur Radio. Join hosts Michelle Patnode, W3MVP, and Joe Karsha, NJ1Q, as they offer information, support, and encouragement for those starting their journey into the world of amateur radio. So Now What is brought to you by LDG Electronics. LDG Electronics provides state-of-the-art automatic antenna tuners and related products for every amateur need. Check them out at ldgelectronics.com. Asking questions. That's how you get the advice and insight you need to go from a new license holder to ham radio veteran. And the first question is, so now what? Hey, podcast listeners. I'm Michelle Patnode, W3MVP. Thanks for joining us for So Now What? A podcast for people who are relatively new to amateur radio and who are excited and curious to discover all that it has to offer. Here with me is Joe Karsha and J1Q. Hi, Michelle, and hello, everyone. It's good to be back. Yes, yes, it is. So, Joe, what are we doing this time? What are we going to talk about? Today, we're going to talk about coax, coaxial cable. Ah. Yep, and we're, we're not here to coax you into choosing any particular type of coax, <laughs> but we have received a couple of questions from our listeners uh, about coax, what kind they should use, what's the best one, and, and so on, questions like that. So hopefully we'll be able to answer them today. So coax cables are considered the best cables for amateur radio use. I would say so, yes. I mean, they're used to essentially connect your transceiver, transmitter receiver, any device essentially generating RF to its load or its antenna. And while there are a number of opinions on what type of coax to use, and some of them are very good, some of them are a little out there. Generally, you want to use a coax that's just going to be the most efficient. The goal is to get your signal from your transceiver, HT, mobile, whatever it is, your RF generating device, we'll put it that way, to your antenna or load. And that is generally accomplished using coaxial cable. There are many different types of coax, and depending on what type of application you're using depends on what type of coax you need. Exactly. The type of coax that you would need to use depends upon your particular application, what you want to do. If you're going to be running, say, 100 watts from your transceiver to your antenna, and it's going to be a relatively long distance. And some of us do have our ham shacks located like in a basement or someplace, and the antenna may be a couple of hundred feet away. You just don't want to put any piece of coax in there. You have to take into consideration the type of power loss that you're going to get, also known as the attenuation factor of the coax, the power handling capability, If you're going to be running 100 watts through it, you don't want to put a very thin style of coax in line, but also the the frequency, because that plays a part in attenuation. Let's look at RG174. Now, RG174 is a very small cable. It's about an eighth of an inch thick. And RG174 is pretty good if you're making these quick little connections inside a radio. And if you ever opened up a radio or any device that deals with RF, you may see these very thin cables, but they're very short. And it may be RG174 or some equivalent that's used to connect this stage, like a mixer or something, to another stage inside that particular device. So RG174 is great. 
You would not, however, want to run 100 feet of RG174 coax from your transmitter to your antenna. And that is because RG174 is great for short runs for low power capabilities and for signal loss. Now let's talk about signal loss for a little bit. We have coax, all different styles of coax, and each one reacts differently to frequency. Even the same size or style of coax reacts differently. RG174 is very small. So in terms of how well it deals with microwave frequencies, as opposed to dealing with frequencies down at the low end of the HF spectrum, like say 1.8 megahertz, is vastly different. At 1.8 megahertz, RG174 will probably work okay for short runs. It doesn't have a lot of attenuation necessarily for short runs. And if you're putting out, and I'm just going to throw some numbers out there for people, a watt at 1.8 megahertz, if you go five feet on RG174, chances are really good that you're going to see one watt on the output of that RG174 at 1.8 megahertz. Now, I didn't look up the attenuation numbers. I'm going to say that right off just so people don't say, yeah, but the attenuation numbers are this. So we're going to tell you right off the bat. We did not look at the attenuation numbers. This is just kind of relative discussion. But at, say, 2.4 gigahertz or 2400 megahertz, if you put in one watt on RG174, you may not see one watt of power at the other end of that RG174 simply because of the attenuation. Now, when you're looking at attenuation numbers for coax, there's charts, and it's based upon a 100-foot length at different frequencies. So amateur radio operators should look at the frequency they're going to be operating on and what power levels they're thinking of using. Let's look at LMR 400. Its equivalent is the old RG213. Now at 1.8 megahertz, at say 100 feet, LMR400 or RG213 has very good power handling capabilities. You can run kind of almost a thousand watts through this without having too many issues. And at 1.8 megahertz, you can run say 100 feet of this coax and see almost no power loss. That being said, if you were to run, say, 100 watts at 2.4 gigahertz at 100 feet of LMR400 or RG213, you may actually see a little bit of power attenuation at the other end. You see a little bit of signal loss, but not so much as you would if you ran, say, RG174. Now, there's different ways to connect your coax cable from the radio to the antenna. There's the crimp type, clamp type and solder type. Joe, what do you think is the best type or does it depend on which type of coax cable? So yes, Michelle, there's generally the three types that uh, amateur radio operators use, crimp, clamp, or solder. And it depends upon the particular application or really what you're comfortable using. Now, some amateur radio operators like myself, we were the old purists. We always used solder type connectors. It was both a mechanical and an electrical process to attach UHF or PL259s, which is one of the 
most common they're used by ham radio operators, we would solder these connectors both for the braid and for the center conductor. We had a nice mechanical and electrical connection, and those were great. So as the technology improved, so too have crimp connectors and clamp connectors. Now, yes, there's still the solder connectors. You can still get those. Again, UHF style or PL259. But you can also get crimp connectors, which you need a tool to crimp both the center conductor as well as the braid. And there are the clamp connectors, where you still may have to solder the center conductor, but the braid itself kind of folds on this locking nut that gets screwed into the connector. And the reason I say the technology has improved is because there once was a time where some of these connectors, if they were aftermarket, aftermarket connectors were not very efficient. They were designed, we'll say, inexpensively. And when you put these things together, they may work, but over time, especially if the connector itself saw a lot of motion to it, say you were attaching it to a radio, then taking it off and putting it someplace else, after a while, some of these connectors would begin to get weak. And either the center pin would start to move, or maybe the cramping of the wire or the crimping of the wire would, would wasn't the greatest. So you start to see some fatigue there. But today's connectors are designed pretty good. Again, if you get them from a decent source. Now, they're not cheap. And I always caution visitors who ask, or even some of the people who email us, to not go cheap when you're getting connectors. I mean, the connectors are a vital part of the connection to your radio and the antenna. And if you go cheap, you may find that the results are not up to your expectations, in part because the connector is probably going to fail. In some way, shape, or form, that connector may fail. And you're sitting there, you want to get on the air, you activate all your equipment and so on, and you go to transmit, and you find that your SWR is through the roof, or you can't hear anything because you have the cable, but you went a little inexpensive on the connector, and the connector has failed. <laughs> so, Whoops. Yeah, whoops. It'd be a big whoops if you're transmitting high power, and that connector fails, and whatever protection circuitry doesn't kick enough time, you could actually damage your transmitting equipment. It has happened. I have had that happen at the radio station, not because we used cheap connectors, because we don't use cheap connectors at the station, but rather that for whatever reason, a connector had failed. And they do. They're, they are a mechanical device, just like everything else. And while they may not necessarily be in motion all the time, there's still the chance for it failing. So I can't stress that enough that if you have to put on connectors, if you're going to make your own cables to go with a decent connector. One of the many advantages to using coax cable is that it's physically flexible. So this means if you're rerouting wires throughout your ham shack, or if you're outside rerouting wires up a tree for your antenna, it'll work really well for you. It's a lot easier to work with. Exactly. You have a couple of styles of coax. You have the flexible type. And I'm just going to mention LMR400 
because that's one we use and it's it's not a secret. They have an ultraflex style, which essentially the center conductor is braided, so it's rather flexible. And you can get these decent bends if you had to bend this coax around corners or as you're saying up trees or anything like that through windows. And then there is a solid core style. In essence, the center conductor of this particular coax is solid. It is a solid piece of wire. And that is used in applications where there's not going to be a lot of movement in the coax. It might be a section just going up a tower or it might be a simple connection between your radio and an antenna switch or something. Something that's not going to see a lot of movement to it because it is not as flexible as, say, coax with a stranded center conductor. Now the differences between them obviously are power capabilities as well as frequency response. And if you were to look at the charts for these types of coaxes, whether it be a stranded or a solid center, you will see slight differences. The solid might be a little better in terms of attenuation numbers and frequency response, but it's not so much to where, oh, you have to use that solid conductor. You can probably get away with using stranded, and uh, it works for you. And now a word from our sponsor. LDG Electronics provides state-of-the-art antenna tuners for every amateur need. From QRP to QRO, fixed stations, portable and remote, an LDG tuner will match your radio to your antenna using our lightning-fast, proprietary tuning algorithms. LDG is a family-owned and operated company dedicated to bringing innovative, quality products to the amateur market. All LDG products carry a full two-year warranty that is fully transferable. Support is only a phone call or email away. We're always here to help you. Visit us on the web at ldgelectronics.com. Welcome back to So Now What? So there's also Ladder Line, which is known as Window Line, and it's just another way to get RF from your radio to your antenna. Exactly, Michelle. If you look through our publications or online, you'll see that there is a variety of of antenna designs, generally multi-band antennas, that use window or ladder line to make the connection to the radiating elements, like on a dipole. So the ladder line comes up, it makes a connection to both ends of the dipole, different lengths so you can get multi-band capabilities out of it. And the nice thing about ladder line is that it's considered balanced. And that essentially means the currents are the same on both sides of the ladder line. And you've probably heard coax referred to as unbalanced line as opposed to balanced line, which is ladder line. And you have to look at the physical characteristics of both. When you look at ladder line, as I mentioned, it's two equally sized conductors spaced at a specific spacing, they're the same size, so on and so forth. So in terms of how currents and voltages react to it, it's balanced. They travel along the lines the same way. Coax, on the other hand, is designed differently. When you take a cross-section of coax, you're looking at a center conductor surrounded by insulation, surrounded by braid, and surrounded by a jacket, an insulating jacket. And that is a very generic description of how coax looks. There's all different styles of coax, but generally that's what it looks like. If you were to take 
LMR 400, do a cross-section of it, that's what you see. Well, because the center conductor is of a different size relative to its shield or the braid, well, currents react differently when they're traveling along that. So that's why it's called unbalanced line. Now, obviously, if you have a multi-band antenna, whether it's a design that you got or one that you purchased and it uses ladder line, there still has to be a general transition between the ladder line and your radio. Because you're looking at the ladder line and there's two wires separated by the insulation. And yet on your radio, it might have a BNC or it might have a UHF or an SO239 connector. It's like, well, how do I make that transition? Well, you would generally hook up coax to that or a UHF connector. And in some antenna designs where you're using ladder line and coax, they actually just make the coax directly connected to the ladder line. Other designs have some small transition, like a small transformer or some way to couple or adapt the ladder line to the coax. If you're using a multi-band antenna and you're going to be using a tuner, some tuners allow you to attach the ladder line directly to the back of that tuner and you use a small piece of coaxial jumper to connect to your radio. Now both the ladder line or window line and the coax, they do the same thing. They transfer RF from your RF device, <laughs> your transceiver, to your load or your antenna. It's just that it handles currents and voltages a little differently. Hmm. And Joe, what is the velocity factor of coax? Can you just give us a simple explanation of this? Oh, a simple, simple explanation? Sure. Well, Michelle, in a nutshell, the velocity factor deals with how long it takes the signal to go through the coax. As we all know, radio signals travel at the speed of light, assuming there's nothing impeding its way. Well, in coax or any type of transmission line, we'll put it that way, because of the electrical and physical characteristics of that line, we don't expect that a radio signal is going to travel at the speed of light. It's going to get slowed down just a little bit. Now, it's the speed of light, so we're not even going to notice that signal being lost, but coax and different styles of coax have different velocity factors. Each one affects the speed of a signal a little differently, and that is generally expressed in the velocity factor of coax, how fast it's allowing the signal to pass through it. Now, generally, good coax has a really decent velocity factor. It could be 60, 70, 80 percent. In other words, if you look at the time in one second, a signal not going through anything impeded will travel about 186,320 miles in one second. Going through coax or some other transmission medium like this, that signal may take a little more than a second to travel that 186,320 or so miles per second. That's the velocity factor. And why it's important is because when you're looking at designing antenna lengths or cutting antenna lengths, or you're even designing antenna systems where you have multiple antenna elements, 
where you want your signal to reach all these different antenna elements at the same time where now the velocity factor is something you have to take into consideration. If you have, just suppose, two antennas equally spaced apart and you're feeding them with one length of coax, you want the signal to go out, go to a T connector, something that's going to break the signal, and go to each antenna at the same time. Well, just suppose you have on antenna A, you have a piece of coax that has a velocity factor of, say, 72%. And the other one, antenna B, has a piece of coax that has a velocity factor of 83% or some other number. Well, when you think about it, the one with the greater velocity factor is going to see the signal first before the second one. And you're probably thinking to yourself, yeah, but does it matter? Well, yes, it kind of matters because instead of developing power right at the same time, it does make sense to use the right coax with the same velocity factor because one antenna may develop power a little faster than the other one simply because of the way the power, the voltages and everything are divided between the two antennas. And that may affect your antenna pattern. It may affect how well the power is propagated. So if you have to design antenna systems, simple or otherwise, where you do need to look at the style of coax you're using and you're going to have multiple antenna elements or multiple antennas, always take the velocity factor into consideration. In addition, obviously, to the power handling capabilities of the coax as well as the frequency response of the coax. And that kind of goes back to that whole thing of RG174 versus, say, RG213 or LMR400. All these factors, power, frequency response, velocity factor, especially when designing antenna systems, you have to take that into consideration. So you don't want to use just any old style of coax? No, you don't. Because while any piece of coax will work, generally all coax will allow you to propagate signals and send signals down the line. If you want to have an efficient radiating system, coax or the coaxial cable or the line, that is one of the most critical parts of the entire system. At W1AW, we run up our towers, half-inch hard line, stuff that's meant to handle high power, stuff that's meant to be very agile in terms of its frequency response. Now, if it was me at home, I probably wouldn't use hardline because, well, my runs to my antennas aren't that long. So I can get away with using, say, an RG213 or an LMR400 style of coax. But on the other hand, if I thought, you know what, I want to do some VHF and UHF work and my antennas are going to be some distance away from my equipment, then I may say, you know what, I may want to go with a larger style coax, like an LMR400, or I may want to go with a larger half-inch style hardline coax, because I know that by the time my signal leaves my transmitter, my transceiver, and makes all that run to the antenna, if it's a really long run, I may see some degradation in power and we don't want that because it's it's a two-way street. If you've got a loss in signal going, you're probably 
maybe going to have a loss in signal coming, and you don't want that, especially if you're dealing with like weak signal work. So Joe really sounds like an expert on this, doesn't he? Oh, no, Michelle, I'm not an expert on this. Actually, I learned a lot of stuff through uh, trial and error. And yes, when it comes to W1AW, I actually had to consult with the real experts because I had my own preconceived notions of coax, especially as a Johnny Novice. It was great when I had RG58. And now it's like, well, I'm now dealing with high power signals, varying frequencies. Uh, my notions of what kind of coax to use were a little weak. And so I actually had to talk with the experts. So I'm a hack. You know, Joe, that's a really good reminder just in general for new hams. If you have a question, just ask us. Just you know? ask us. And if we can't answer it, we'll forward it to somebody else in the building. For example, our lab. And as always, we also have all of our publications. We have the Arrow Handbook. We have the Antenna Book. We have books that talk about coax and transformers and transmission lines and so on. And these books are written by individuals who really know their stuff, who are engineers in their field, who have had to deal with all aspects of, say, coax or antennas and radios and so on. Thanks for listening to So Now What? As always, if you have a question and want a chance of it being answered on the show, send an email to sonowwhat at arrl.org or go to our webpage, www.arrl.org forward slash sonowwhat and submit your question under the So Now What listener form. Don't forget to also rate and review So Now What on whatever platform you're listening to us on. We love getting your questions, feedback, and suggestions. Until next time on... So now what? 73. So Now What is a production of the ARRL, the National Association for Amateur Radio, and is sponsored by LDG Electronics. LDG Electronics provides state-of-the-art automatic antenna tuners and related products for every amateur need. Check them out at ldgelectronics.com. For more information on amateur radio or the ARRL, visit us on the web at www.arrl.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn by searching for ARRL. If you have a question or comment for Joe or Michelle, email us at sonowwhat at arrl.org or use the form on our website, www.arrl.org forward slash sonowwhat. This program is copyright of the ARRL, and any unauthorized redistribution or rebroadcast is prohibited. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to So Now What at Blueberry.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Serena Jackson, KC1JMW, Administrative Manager of Radio Sport at the ARRL. Thanks for listening.